0: Hi there esteemed audience and welcome to another episode of middle grade ninja i'm your host rob kent and uh couldn't be more excited today uh we got uh, got the gang back together uh, our old friends uh dorothy windsor and sarah jane slack sarah jane slack and dorothy windsor i don't know which of your names we'll put uh put first i don't know but we'll thumb wrestle and we'll figure out <laughs> <laughs> uh i think i think we did sarah last time so Knowing me, I'm, uh, I'm a creature of habit. I'll probably just leave it that way. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. We're, we're nine months later. This is sort of a rarity um, that we had spoken episode 78 Saturday, June 27th uh, in, in, in 2020, three months into the pandemic. So now, esteemed audience, you get to catch up with us six months later. We'll we'll find out uh, how we've, we've all changed uh, <laughs> and, and, and grown. Uh, and, and, and become new people. Uh, and I should mention, uh, it is April 3rd, uh, 2021, as we record this, so 4 what a fantastic date. So fantastic, in fact, I decided to slap that as the official publication date on uh, Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy. So as you're listening to us, if you're listening to us on the day, uh, check and see if you can get your copy if you're listening to us uh, after the day. Fantastic. Thank you for finding us. Go get your copy right now. You probably already read it, uh, depending on, on, on when you're listening to us. So that is available. And I was chuckling. I was listening to our, our previous episode and I was telling everyone that the book was about to be available, which it was. And then there was this this the whole, whole pandemic and the uh, global downturn and, and and madness. But by God, here we are. Uh, six months later, for real this time, download your copy of Anika Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy. And while you're at it, uh, last week, The Trickster by Dorothy Windsor launched, and we're gonna talk quite a bit about that. Um, so you, uh, ladies, you remember that I do not do other people's uh, biographies. I'll make a mess of them. Uh, so Dorothy, I think we started with Sarah last time. We'll start with you. Uh, remind esteemed audience who you are and why they should be thrilled that you have come back to us.
1: <laughs> well, I'm a former tech writing, teacher, tech writing professor, who decided that writing fiction was a lot more fun, uh, somewhat less profitable, but a lot more fun. (laughs) And and I've never looked back. So uh, I'm the author of, at this point, uh, five young adult or middle grade novels, three of them with Inspired Quill, which where Sarah is my editor. And um, I'm very pleased to be there. I live in the Chicago area. I mean, is there anything else that's that's relevant
0: here? <laughs> I think we've nailed it for now. Although, um, have you seen any flying saucers or ghosts in the last six months since we spoke previously?
1: They seem to be avoiding Chicago. So what can I tell you? <laughs>
0: uh, and Sara, same question to you. Remind us who you are, and have you seen any ghosts or flying saucers in the last six months?
2: Well, I've been pretty much shielding for the last six months, so um, I've not seen any ghosts or or flying saucers, but then again, I've not been out and about, so there we go. Um, So I'm uh, Sarah-Jane Sack, I'm the um, Managing Director of Inspired Quill, which is a tiny, tiny, independent, traditional publishing house based uh, here in the UK. And um, it's quite exciting, actually, because uh, tomorrow, 5th of April, is actually our 10-year anniversary. So lots going on for us this year.
0: (laughs) That is extraordinarily exciting. Congratulations on a whole decade.
2: Yeah, yeah. Scary, but exciting.
0: So we'll do this again 10 years from now uh, to celebrate the 20 year anniversary and by then Dorothy I assume you will have published what at least another How long does it take to publish the first 5 books?
1: Oh, um 6 years maybe.
0: Okay, maybe so more than that You no. should be up to what? No, like 18, 19, I maybe think- even 20 <laughs> by the time we do this again. I that
1: I take it back it i think the first one is 2015 so however long that is that's six years isn't it
2: yeah yeah six years okay
0: <laughs> you know what i'm i'm now confident enough that you'll be at 22 books
2: so oh. i got <laughs> two
0: years from now 22 books published <laughs> and I'm we'll getting... be talking about lucky number
1: 23.
0: Okay. <laughs> um so um well, I guess the the most obvious question to ask is: here we are six months later. Uh, how has quarantine treated you? How how have the last six months since we spoke been? I'm assuming that you're not living in a Mad Max type apocalypse, but then uh, that's not what I'm seeing on the screen behind you. But outside the house, who who knows what could be going on? Uh, Sarah, I'll start with you this time. Um,
2: yeah, it, it's been quite an eventful a few months actually so you know moving moving in the middle of a, a pandemic and also um, we'll be moving again in in a few months time um things still going quite uh at pace shall we say with inspired quills so uh, it, at one point we were trying to publish between six and nine books a year we've scaled that back slightly to five um but that's now sort of locked in if you like so we've we've managed to keep up with with our schedule we've honored all publication dates instead of having to to push any back um so that's been that's been quite nice in that we've managed to to keep going in that way at a time when of course a lot of small businesses and especially small presses have have had to fold because of of the pandemic and not being able to go to events and and stuff like that so um yeah it's been it's been quite eventful but we're, we're chugging
0: on. <laughs> You're celebrating the, the 10 year anniversary. We're about to get to the 20. So it sounds like it's all mostly going swell for you, which is going to be by sharp contrast. I assume everything is miserable in, in, in Dorothy's neck of the woods. <laughs> 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 I I hope not.
1: <laughs> well, um, Things are looking up in my neck of the woods. For one thing, I'm vaccinated. I managed to Congratulations, score. that's me. huge. The good news is I'm vaccinated. The bad news is because, because I fit into an age category that, came <laughs> out vaccinated, you know, so that part wasn't so rosy. But um, I and and I'm feeling bit at this the pandemic, I found it very, very hard to concentrate during the pandemic. Um, I felt distracted all the time. And so you would think that because there was all this time I had when I was we were locked down that I would have written like more. But no, there were long stretches where I couldn't write. At all, I just, I couldn't even read. I was just very, very distracted. And now that seems to be clearing up, thank goodness. So I feel, you know, I'm starting to work again and I just, I really, really am relieved because you know, you, you're you never sure that it's gonna come back. But um, so I just, you know, I'm lucky, I'm vaccinated. Uh, no one, everyone I know is well. And doing fine so so you know i feel fortunate
0: good well now that you've got that vaccination that's guaranteed we're going to be talking about book number 23 and <laughs> uh, really maybe 24 or 25 just a couple extra out of gratitude <laughs> 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 right. I 100% uh, relate, it has, my, my mind has been mushy many a days uh, since we last spoke and, and, and just days where I guess what I'm doing today is watching the news and objective wh- uh, whore and, and, and checking Twitter on a regular basis, yeah. but I'm with you, we've just uh, opened up uh, vaccinations here locally so Mrs. Kent and I will soon be getting ours uh, and I've, I've, I'm, I'm half joking but not really. And when I think that four years ago, I've just enjoyed Zack Snyder's The Justice League. And four years ago, things were so bad in our country that the Super Friends made a terrible movie and it broke my heart. And I said, all my life, I've dreamed of the Super Friends. And here we are four years later, about to get vaccinated and the Super Friends are good again. Like, oh my God, it it is going to be okay. We're going to be all right.
1: (laughs) It's a metaphor.
0: (laughs) It is that the hopefulness of the Zack Snyder's Justice uh (laughs) inspires hopefulness within my overall life if uh, if superman and batman can get through this by my god we'll we'll all be fine (laughs) (laughs) um so we've got a new book uh let's start there and then i've got all kinds of questions for you um about uh reading writing and all 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 things good but by god let's talk about the trickster uh that just launched here march 27th uh, and so, just like we did before, Dorothy, I'll have you tell us about the, the trickster, and then Sarah, I'll have you edit her response and tell <laughs> us the better version of, of what the books about.
1: Okay, I'll <laughs> hold this up. Can you see that?
0: That yep. is, yep, nice and full That's, screen.
1: It's so pretty. The cover is so pretty. Okay. Um, the trickster is the story of two young people who are in a city that I pictured as being like New Orleans at Mardi Gras time. Okay, only of course it's not, it's in a sort of quasi medieval setting. Um, the, the point of view alternates between Dilly and Fitch. So a girl and a boy alternate the point of view. Dilly is an attendant to the Lord's daughter who she's always admired and she's, she's a former street kid. So she feels very, very fortunate to be there is the son of a family of smugglers, right? So their paths cross and there are rumors of treason in the city and their paths cross. And it turns out that because she has this knowledge inside knowledge of the Lord's house and he has this knowledge of the smugglers, they can put together information that no one else has. So they could make a big difference. But to do it, that she would have to betray this mistress that she greatly admires and who has taken her off the streets, and he would have to betray his family. Okay, so that's what it's about. So basically, it's about the push and pull of families, families that we are born into and families that we make. And, you know, how we we need their love and support, but they can make demands on us that. I don't know. "Cripple" is the wrong word, but um, sort of smother what our own instincts say is the right thing to do.
0: Sarah, what do you think? Page one rewrite, or maybe just a little polishing?
2: <laughs> I I think that's that's a perfect summation, to be honest. And it has a dog in it. So, dog. what what else do you want? <laughs> what else do you want from a book? <laughs> Take
0: <laughs> a beautiful dog on the cover there's a dog in the book um, that uh, is at one point i think said he's enchanted by the presence of sausage it's yeah. a line that's been uh, recurring to me <laughs> I, I don't know why once in a while you know just a little 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 earworm will break off from a book I'm like what would it be like to be enchanted by sausage that sounds like a good day um so what's uh what's with all the dogs <laughs>
1: Um, Well, this book, Dilly appears in a different book to the Wind Reader, where she's one of three street kids. She's a secondary character. And at that point, I gave her the dog, Tuck is his name, because I thought, well, I like dogs. She like, they need a guard up. They need a guard dog, a Tuck. And because she was a minor character, it wasn't an issue. Then in this book, she's the major character. And so what that means is that Tuck appears on many, many, many pages, right? So and it's really hard to remember that Tuck is supposed to be there. It's like trying to remember that your character has a bruise or a limp or is carrying something. I took to writing at the top of every page, I would write dog, you know, so that I would remember to say, Tuck scratched his ear or something like that. And and so um, eventually, I decided it was boring to have to deal with that. And I figured if I was bored, the readers would be bored. So I decided to sort of make more of him. So what I'm going to say now is a little bit of a spoiler. But it's good uh, that the, um, the people in this area have what they call small gods who are, you know, there's the big, big big god but there are these small gods that are like everyday little household gods and one of them is the guardian dog and for me that was a cross between a guardian angel and a guard dog right and at this time during this festival here during this like carnival the small gods walk among them and i decided tuck was a guardian dog and i didn't say it in the book until the last chapter i just sort of implied it and then i so then that was fun. Then I had this secret that I knew as I was writing and it was much more fun to write about Tuck. I recommend giving your characters secrets, putting secrets in the book, but only you know it. It makes it so much easier to plow through 300 pages of draft, you know, um, it's just, it was a lot of fun to write Tuck that way.
0: So. Which of all the gods in town is the right one, and why is the god that the listener uh, believes in wrong?
1: No. I love this idea of the garden. (laughs) You've got to be a little careful about working with gods because it's easy to offend people, and I don't mean to do that, but you know, yeah.
0: What? Uh, how does that change things? Knowing that the dog—I mean—are there supernatural powers that that are possessed and are just being kept completely one hundred percent secret?
1: Um, I don't know that Tuck is particularly
2: supernatural. Do you think so? Can you think of anything, Sarah? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. No, it's it's quite nice the way. After reading it, obviously, I've I've read the book a few times now, so. <laughs> You know, getting to the end and then going, oh, OK, I'm going to reread these bits now to see if you've dropped any hints. And what you were saying, Dorothy, about it's fun to have that secret, which is foreshadowed. But it it doesn't make the book lose anything, regardless of how the reader has read it. Yeah. Which is always nice because, you know, sometimes, especially with, you know, uh, books and TV shows, there's this twist at the end and then you almost feel betrayed and it's like actually i'm not going to go back and read it because everything is a lie and it just came out of nowhere and it's ridiculous whereas you know with with the way that that dorothy's written it it's it's it kind of ties things up nicely instead of just completely destroying all the you know hopes and dreams you had for this cute animal previously
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: i'm very attached to turk i'm very attached to turk
1: yes me too and i wanted to warrant say dear reader you can trust me i am not a monster did not kill the dog
0: (laughs) that is just what a monster would say there's there's no way to trust
1: that (laughs) so you can trust me
0: I can hear that, uh, sorry, you've been betrayed by authors before. And I know I have as well. I've, I've, I've had at least one book I can vividly remember. Like, nope, that is a betrayal. There's nothing that set that twist up. But I checked it across the room and I haven't read anything by that person since.
2: Mm. <laughs> it's so disappointing. It's almost as though, you know, oh, I need to shock people or. And it, it's just for me. And I don't know whether I'm slightly jaded after so many years in editorial now, but it it For me it comes across as quite lazy when it literally comes out of nowhere and there's no kind of foreshadowing at all it's kind of okay fine i'm thinking about a certain book at the moment where the the character turned into a half elf and i put the book down mid book which i never do and didn't buy the third one in the series so yeah although i'm biased against elves anyway but apart from that
0: (laughs) Well, now we definitely need to to delve into your uh, prejudice <laughs> for elves. What,
2: <laughs> what? What? What
0: have elves done to you? Yeah,
2: <laughs> it was it was just a, so I you know the, the whole Lord of the Rings films came out when when I was at school and everyone just wanted to be an elf with all the role play games and stuff and I just got sick of them. <laughs> to be honest, overpowered, overpowered. Usually. So, yeah, anyway, sorry, esteemed listeners, if you're a fan of Legolas.
1: <laughs> you know, Sarah, you know, I used to write Lord of the Rings fan I'm being very careful with what <laughs> I say, Dorothy. <to laughs> <them. laughs> <laughs>
0: well, no, yeah. Dorothy, I think that it, it's on you. I, I just heard a challenge. If I'm you, I'm thinking the gauntlet has been thrown down. Uh, Sarah's at least going to read all of the, the, the next books you're going to write. Yeah. It seems to me that the challenge is for you to write the perfect half elf story. Oh. <laughs> that's going to change Sarah's mind forever. I
1: don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they could also be a dog. I'm a, I'm open to a half elf dog. <laughs> that would actually be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to know. I, I wanted to. Well, I, I want to follow up uh, and ask more about this uh, series, especially since you're 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 writing uh, not sequels, but but uh, an interrelated series. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk briefly about the cover real fast while we're talking about dogs, because you've got that beautiful. Uh, yeah, hold hold that up again, so everybody on YouTube can see. Um, and you've got the 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 dog right there on the cover. So of all all the things that could go on the cover with a massive. Um, look like this um why why the dog why is that the best choice and Sarah I'll throw that one over to you since then my next question is going to be like what inspired you to write this book <laughs> you won't be able to answer that one but the cover I assume you had quite a lot of, of, of input on and let's also talk about how does how, how does that cover process work between you
2: go on so that's quite interesting so as Dorothy mentioned we've now published three books in in the the tales of Rinland. um uh, series, although you can read the books uh, independently, and with the others, there's always been uh, an item on the front cover and a picture of the main character on the back cover. So Dorothy will be able to show you a picture of Dilly just there. Um, so effectively, we wanted something this time that you know one of the the items from um, from from the book, of course, and. One thing that came came up was this uh, brooch that uh, one of the the sea captains wears, which you can see on the cover Tuck has between his paws. And we kind of just wanted a way to to show the the size of it rather than it just sort of being a brooch and you can't really gauge what it is. Um, and then we thought, well, we've got to put Tuck on there somewhere. We just have to, like, that's, that's just a thing that needs to happen. And, of course, on, on a back cover, you're a little bit limited because, obviously, you need the blurb and the barcode and, and that sort of thing, and, and you can't make it too fussy. So we thought, well, what if we had took on the cover, not necessarily the, the full dog, but the, the paws and the, the muzzle? Um, and, yeah, it kind of came from we wanted it to have the same feeling as, as the previous two books without being overpowering. Would you say that's that's what yeah. we went for, Dorothy?
1: Yes, yes. Um, this one was Sarah's idea. Uh, often she asks <laughs> me for ideas first, but this one she sent me a pic that brooch, the picture of that brooch that she had found, and I thought, oh, that is gorgeous! It is so pretty. the the thing the you know, this boat between Tuck's paws, and of course Tuck has to be on the cover. It's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be on the cover. So yes, uh, that was, uh, um, this one was Sarah's idea. Um, And Dilly on the back, that one we did talk about quite a bit. What did she look like? And I'm not very good at picturing my characters. Um, I don't uh, describe them a lot and I don't care to be perfectly truthful unless their appearance is relevant in some way to the story. I mostly don't care. Um, Because it's what's inside them when you're when you're writing you're inside that character and that's what I'm trying to experience So so I had to think because she kept asking me these questions. I knew <laughs> Dilly was a redhead and I described her as having honey colored skin um I don't know so that's what kind of where we landed with that one
0: That is incredibly thoughtful and insightful. So let me follow that up with a really shallow question. Um, What do you see when you're writing about the character? If you're not spending a lot of time thinking about their physical description, do you have any? I mean, I'm assuming you have something in your mind that you're seeing.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm seeing what's going on around them. What they're experiencing. so in Dilly's case, she, um, you know, maybe she's walking down the docks and there are ships along one, dock along one side and there's like bars and things on the other. Um, I, you know, I'm seeing, maybe Tuck is running ahead of her. That's what I'm seeing as I write. Now she's in first person. So particularly when I'm writing in first person, I do that and the pitches in third person. And I, the boy section, and I still, I still see what's around him because I try to stay pretty deep in his head, even though it's in third. Try.
0: Hmm. My experience of life is all I ever think about is my appearance. Just (laughs) that's my only thought. I as as I go through the world, so I'm constantly describing what I look like to people, just in case they don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You look in the mirror to
0: do it. I'm assuming you've noticed I'm incredibly handsome. we'll, we'll move on, but not for long, I'm gonna bring it up again. <laughs> well, Sarah, let uh, let me let me keep with covers. Obviously, a dog on a cover inspired would be uh, there there are um, um, a few things you could put on a cover as appealing, I think, as a, as a dog. but when you are um, preparing to set a cover for any particular book, How does that conversation go? Do you usually have an idea from the moment you buy the book and how early in the process do you start thinking about what that cover is going to be?
2: So we we start the process quite early on um, and we've we've done that um, because we're trying to get the books ready to go at least one month before publication date. So previously we used to be very close to the wire sort of you know sending it off to to the printers sort of two days before it's it's due to be um, actually published which is just you don't get any sleep when you do things that close to the wire so we've we've tried to bring the, the um, how early everything gets sorted uh, forward so effectively what happens first of all is you know I, I read the book, I make notes and, and then the author starts to, to work through those notes. And at the same time, I send what's called the the template spec document to the author and it has some questions on. So things like, you know, are there any um, uh, what are the, the characters that are in the book? What are the themes of the book? Um, the synopsis or, or blurb? Are there any colour schemes that you do or don't want to? To see on the book, and also I say, what sort of um, what sort of vibe do you want the the cover to have as well? So obviously, certainly within fantasy, we're seeing this sort of almost reemergence to what I would call sort of Eddings, um, Tad Williams style covers, which are a lot more um, uh, sort of traditional. Art, even if they're done digitally now, sort of traditional art rather than, you know, uh, photographs or photo manipulation. So we're, we're seeing a, a move more towards those again. So what I say is, what kind of covers do you like the look of? Give me a few examples, because obviously that would then depend on the cover artist that that we work with, um, because not every artist can do uh, across different styles so one of the great things is that we managed to have the same artist for all of the Rinland books, um, Marco uh, penicetti I think is his last name um, who's fantastic and we now have that level of consistency across the whole series which is also really nice. Yeah.
0: I'm very handsome. I have blue eyes and blonde hair. Anyway, Dorothy, <laughs> when uh, do you start to think about the cover, and and have you? How much input do you feel comfortable having when it's your book, but it's not your publication? Does that does that thought enter into it at all?
1: Um, I don't think about it at all until Sarah asks me. <laughs> <laughs> I it, it, to me, that's not my end of the business. You know, that's um. For one thing a cover is, is a, like a tiny little billboard to get people to at least try the book pick it up and look at it maybe buy it um so um it's part of the publishers uh, they have much more knowledge of that than i do of the, what is going to sell because they have a lot of experience with that um i have no idea um before the first book came out, I think, I asked at my local bookstore whether there were usually people or objects on the cover. And the bookseller said it was about half and half at that point. So I knew that didn't matter. And so I basically, and, and there are concerns about the cover that again, I don't know anything about, like it has to look good in a, what do you call it, a little postage stamp size, uh, Oh, the thumbnail. Yeah, yeah, and you know which limits, and so, um, I so basically I trust sorry <laughs> <laughs> If there's a screw up, it's her fault. <laughs> 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 I trust Sarah. I I she knows much more about this than I do, and if I hated
2: the cover, I would tell her, and she, I'm sure she would try to take it it's really important so inspired quill before we were a publishing house we were a, a book review blog and i'd heard so many horror stories about authors who were just completely steamrolled and had no say whatsoever on the book cover um and there was one um story in particular i heard from someone who was with um one of the big six as they were at the time saying that um they had to change a fundamental bit of the book because they put the wrong sort of bird on the cover because they thought it looked better. And they were like, but that's not the bird that's in the book. I don't know if it was like a raven and a sparrow or... But, like, it wasn't even sort of a raven and a um, another corvid. You know, it was quite, quite different. And they were saying, oh, you can just change that in the book. It's not going to make any difference. And we've got the cover now. And they, they ended up having to do that. And I just thought it's just it's just not on so although you know i'm happy to to make suggestions i'm not a designer by any stretch of the imagination so you know this sort of collaborative approach is really important because at the end of the day yes you could argue that you know the author only wrote the book they didn't have to you know um work on the cover etc but it's it's the wrapping paper right you can have the the best gift in the world to give to someone But if the wrapping paper is, you know, torn and, you know, got marks on it, no one's going to touch it. So it's got to be reflective of all of the the heart and soul and hard work that's that's gone inside.
0: So when we're um, talking about uh, a series um, so here we are, this is the third book in the series, but these are not direct sequels and uh, Dorothy, I'll let you speak to this. How, how have you worked your magic that you have uh, you have a series without sequels?
1: Well, um, a sequel, I, I have the same uh, country, same imaginary country and the same set of characters, although sometimes there's a minor character in the first book becomes the central character in a different book. Actually, that's what happens. There are these three characters in the first book, one of them being the central character. At the end of that book, he disappears. <laughs> I uh, in the second book, a different character is the central character, and then in this one, the third character. So that's the end of this series. The characters continue, but the plot does not. The plot starts over. So. To me, sequels are like, say, The Hunger Games, where the plot, I- each book could stand alone, in theory, but the plot really- <laughs> And
0: arguably should have, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: But there's there's an overall plot that, or Harry, or Harry Potter, for that matter, where there's overall plot that is continuing throughout. That's not the case here. The, the plot starts over, so you can really can read each book independently. Um, So it's it's it supports me in that I have these ready made character it's ready made character of Dilly who I know somewhat, Um, but it also limits me in that I cannot now do something completely radical with her. Right, she has to be more or less in the line with what she was in the other book. Um, So. It's actually, um, this kind of uh, series is traditional, is pretty common in, of all things, romance novels, where a minor character in one novel will be then the central character. You know, there'll be three sisters, and and then, you know, it'll be a different Mm -hmm. character in each one. Um, So it's not uncommon, and it's, uh, it's, uh, you know i enjoyed right i enjoyed the continuity i enjoyed those characters i didn't want to leave them after the first book i wanted to do more with the minor characters and so that was satisfying to me
0: and then do you keep track of the continuity between i'm assuming you've got a way of keeping track of the continuity between the series because you are locked into that world it has to be consistent or does sarah come back and say whoa whoa whoa, whoa i've got my continuity sheets here from the previous books and <laughs> i don't think so not so fast
1: I don't think it was an issue. No. Um, It seems to be, I mean, she's a redhead. I did have, I knew that, so she's still a redhead. Um, It's still the same country, you know, with the same people in charge and so on. So um, it didn't seem to be an issue. I think, I mean, I have seen it an issue in sometimes in other books that I've read Sometimes it's an issue within the book. The character turns say from redhead to a to a uh, brunette in the middle of the book, you know, but um uh I just didn't it, it just didn't seem to be an issue. I must I must be keeping track, I guess, somewhere. <laughs>
0: uh and then uh, Sara, what uh, does how is there a different approach to marketing a series like this where it's um it's 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 not direct sequels. In a in a Harry Potter type series, would would be different for how you market.
2: I think it gives you a little bit more flexibility, and it's almost like you have the best of both worlds. Because if you enjoyed the the world that Dorothy has created in book one or book two, then it's likely that you'll like book three. But you don't have to like. You don't have to have read book one or two to understand book three. And I do feel that we've all done it. You know, where we've picked up a book. I remember one of the first series I got into was um, the Dragon Riders of Pern by Anne McCaffrey, which is like five million books long. And you pick up a middle book, and it's a bit hard going because you know it's like, oh, what's this thing and what's that thing? And oh, there's a character list in the back, thank goodness. Um, but then you've got to go and find all the other ones to start from the start, right? Because you never manage to pick up book one to begin with. It's it's never never the case. Um, whereas with this, it kind of gives you the flexibility to kind of say, "Hey, folks, book you know book three is out. If you enjoyed the other ones, go and buy it." But at the same time, you're not locking people in, and I think that's quite important now. Where you know for so long so many new fantasy books especially were part of you know a 20 book series especially with you know Game of Thrones and Robert Jordan and mm-hmm. you know it and, and they were all sort of doorstopper size as well and it, it's a lot to ask people to to kind of put in that, that time and, and energy especially if they've not heard of a series previously. Um, So, yeah, I I find that it it definitely gives you a little bit more flexibility doing it this way. Sarah,
1: do you want to talk about branding them as Tales of Greenland?
2: Yeah, so that's something that we did as of this book, actually. So thinking about the the continuity side of things, it's even on the cover. (laughs) 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 Um, So, you know, we don't have to put you know book one book two book three but having that level of oh this is part of the same world um now that there's you know three of them it's not you know just a a single book or a duology um that's that's really interesting because people can then search oh i wonder if there are more tales of rinland you know and it, it it doesn't matter which order you read them in. So if you happen to find one in in a library somewhere, then, you know, you can you can just get on and, and read them, I guess. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's something, as, as I said, we decided to sort of bring in um, with with this uh, with this latest book.
0: Are, uh, the tales of Brynland going to continue uh, indif- indefinitely. Of the twenty-three books I've committed you to writing, for when we're going to get <laughs> together a decade from now and do this again, uh, how many of those books do you imagine will have been tales of Bridland?
1: <laughs> I don't plan on it. Um, I feel done. I, I'm done with the characters. I feel like, although it's it's interesting to me, there are a few. You know, occasionally you look. I look at a review of the second or this third book, the third, even this one, especially a cup you know, there are some early reviews because uh, Inspired Quill sent out advanced reader copies. And so that their reviews starting to sort of trickle in and someone will say, well, it's open ending.
2: I hope there's a sequel. And I'm thinking,
1: what are you <laughs> talking about? What do you know? it's plenty done it's done i have
2: suggestions dorothy if you ever get uh, bored i have suggestions i've got at least three new books for you to work on Um, with these characters not necessarily the characters but some some of the other minor characters that you could do more with
1: you want me to write from
2: a doc's point of view (laughs) yes pretty much yeah yeah
0: I think you need to spend time exploring the half elf realms of (laughs) Rinland. <laughs> Wouldn't there be a temptation when you, when you have a series like this that's already established that this is the Dorothy Windsor uh, brand and, and God bless Inspired Quilt because they're going to continue to give us Tales of Rindland. Uh, why not start with, uh, here's a brand new character you haven't met before, but he'll occasionally, he or she will occasionally bump into uh, other characters from the series and go on and take some place that's new. So it's like a new book for you, but it's still rough the label, yeah.
1: That's plausible. That is possible. For instance, at the end of this book, the characters sail away, right? And they're going to a place called the Dolian Islands, maybe. So <laughs> I, could, um, I could write a book set in the Dolian Islands and have the central character there just see
2: these two young people down on the docks, for instance. Um, I'm just penciling this in for publication <laughs> in... Uh... <laughs>
0: The esteemed audience just heard a promise. That's definitely going to happen.
1: That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. But, um, you know, I, I feel as if I have, for me, you know, taking the same character, actually, and who has been central. So you've spent a lot of time thinking about them and what how they are going to change in this book, basically because we expect characters to change. A story is a change agent. If there's no change by the end, why did we make this journey, right? If things are exactly the same. And in many ways, the plot is designed to force the character into changing and developing and growing. Um, because none of us likes change. None of nobody likes to move six times in five years or five times in six years or whatever. So you kind of have to be forced out of your rut and forced into it. Okay. so. So I feel like I've forced that on the character, and they've grown and developed. So I've I've been their therapist. I've solved their issues. You know. Now what am I going to do with them? Right? Um, I I think that's hard.
2: So Well, kill
0: somebody. That's close to them, and then that starts a whole new story arc. <laughs> uh,
1: what was her name? Um, the agent who had a blog, and she used to say, um, kill someone, set someone's hair on fire. You know, with her last to writers. You know, I forget her name, but I thought that was good advice. Good advice, Rob. We're
0: talk, obviously, we, we don't want to start a reader uprising, but maybe somebody, somebody a little more minor. <laughs> <laughs> So um, have there? you know, here we are, we're talking uh, six months into, uh, uh, or hopefully uh, exiting the uh, pandemic into a, a glorious new world in which the super friends are great again and everything's gonna be wonderful. Um, but how does the, the pandemic change your plans for launching this book versus books earlier in this areas where you didn't necessarily have this concern? And sorry, i throw this one over to you first.
2: It's, it's really interesting. actually. I've been doing a lot of um, interviews and podcasts recently about how the pandemic has affected publishing in general. And one of the things that keeps coming up is, you know, launch events. Um, so, you know, usually we would want to have in-person launch events, etc., cetera, which obviously with the current climate isn't possible. But we've actually always done quite a lot online anyway. So you'll notice a lot of the, the bigger publishing houses have been scrambling uh, over the last however long. And they've realized that, you know, doing stuff online is a thing. And it's a thing which can actually be more accessible as well for, for people in not just in different locations, but, you know, people who who can't travel for, for whatever reason or, you know, and, and it's a way of expanding your your reach even further so in terms of how different it is i would say that there's a obviously a lack of um in-person events but in terms of how we're managing to still you know get the book out there not an awful lot has changed because we've always done a lot of stuff online we've put more emphasis into the online stuff now of course but that's a I think that's a redistribution of resources rather than doing something completely new. Um, I don't know if, if Dorothy has anything to to add to that one.
1: Uh, I miss uh, in person events. Mm. I miss conventions yeah. and uh, in you know I live in the Chicago area, and there are there are a couple of conventions you can go to. Uh, there are lots of library author days that you can go to and take your books and talk to people about the book you know there are, and there are other authors there often who are often whom i know by this point yeah. you know, and <laughs> so that's a lot of fun and i miss doing those but um uh you know i've always done a lot of virtual things anyway because it is a small press i and i'm not traveling around the country on a book tour or anything um now, as it happens, I am doing an in-person event in my building um, Thursday, I think. Um, and um, because most people in this building have been vaccinated, as, as it turns out, now we have to wear masks and all, but I'm allowed to stand up with them remotely in the room <laughs> Um and read, you know, read the first chapter or talk about it. And I'm going and I, because I've had two books come out since we've been locked down. This is the second book because The Wise Man came out when we were locked down too, as a matter of fact. Here, and um, so I'm not going to read from that, but I'm going to talk about it a little, and I'm going to show this fabulous book trailer that Inspired Quill made for me, just to sort of see if I can get them to be interested in that one too. And then I'll read from The Trickster. So I'm looking forward to that. It's it's actually quite um, difficult to move into in-person events because we've spent I've spent so long locked down that just stepping into a store feels chancy you know and so um, it's I'm like maybe we're all like those like say some animal that's been lived in a kennel their whole life and now they don't know how to go out and walk on the grass because it's just they've just gotten so used to being locked up so so we'll see how it goes it is being held in one of the bars in this building so that should help
0: how many bars are in the building that you live in one of the bars
2: (laughs) (laughs) which one has the most gin i think that's the the real question they're
1: they're pretty well supplied as far as i you you have the money they have the gin (laughs)
0: I think the pandemic has changed the definition of what is a well-supplied bar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wine o'clock is coming pretty early some days.
0: (laughs) But uh, (laughs) now I I, I do wonder, and I'm with you, I think uh, some things aren't coming back. Like I think I've I've done my last handshake. (laughs) I think think, think that's behind me uh, going forward. Um, but uh, I do wonder, uh, now that you, you've done uh, some of these virtual events, obviously you, you had the, the the middle grade ninja boost uh, that came last time, which is why you've returned to us and, and done some other events as well. Um, uh, not to make us all uh, self-conscious, but I, it does occur to me once in a while that some of the listeners to this program haven't been born yet. Uh, in other words, we can go and we can do uh, in-person uh, events, and we will make hopefully an incredible experience for everybody that's in that room. But a virtual um, a virtual promotion continues to promote forever long after uh, I've forgotten the idiotic thing that I said on podcast episode I don't know number four. Uh, somebody <laughs> will tweet at me like, well, "You idiot! What did you? What were you thinking?"
1: <laughs> There's a long tail. There's a long tail, just like there is to ebooks. you know, it used to be before I realize I'm talking prehistoric now, but before there were many ebooks, you know a book had its day on the bookshelves in the in, at Barnes and Noble or wherever. and um, then after some period that was quite short, a month or something, it was gone and it would be very hard to find it after that. And now, you know, with ebooks, as you say, they're there, some of your readers rob have not been born yet so
0: yeah uh, well i wonder sometimes just in, in when we're going back into the world and trying to figure out what's going to be prioritized and what's not how important were those uh, in person well but, but we know how important they were how important Will that be in the strategy going forward, uh, Sarah, for uh, Dorothy, who's going to write 23 more books, plus all Mm -hmm. the other authors that you're going to be working with?
2: So I love this question because I think there's definitely two sides of it. There's the the side of it from the perspective of we're a tiny press, so we don't get preferential treatment from the big stores because we can't afford to give them 70 percent off the list price to stock the book. Um, there was a bit of a hoo-ha with one of the big chains over here who effectively charged the publisher for putting books on the shelves and of course bigger publishers can do that because it's a lost leader, right? You see 50 of the same book on on the, a table in a big store and you think, oh, maybe I should buy a copy then if it's that popular. Um, so obviously we aren't able to do that. So one side of it is making sure that the books we do have get airtime, not just when they're published, but the back catalogue as well. So, you know, we go to events, we do quite a lot of, you know, fantasy sci-fi events, um, that sort of thing. And we take books that, you know, we published, you know, 10 years ago. um, And and we give them prominence and, and it's great. And the other side of it is... As a tiny small press, and I'm a a volunteer managing director, so I do this um, for the love of it. (laughs) Um, I find them really energising, so I do as many events as possible because I love talking to people, and it's usually how people find us again and again. And you get those sort of super fans, not just for an author, but for the press itself. So events, in-person events will always be incredibly important to us. I think going forward, we will need to be a little bit more cautious in terms of the events we choose to attend. But apart from that, they're they're definitely going to still be a massive part of Inspired Quill because we're um, we're very community focused as well. So we enjoy going to the little events that no one else wants to go to. Right. Because we want to support the the local, you know, council or area or, you know, library or community centre or whatever. And, and, you know, we're happy to, to put in the work to to do that sort of thing. So, yeah, for us, it's it's going to be really, really important going forward. Um, and to be honest, you, you never really um, make any money going to events. When you consider the profit margins on the books and how many books you need to sell and a table is 50 pounds a day. <laughs> um, but we don't do it for that, we do it to make those you know connections and, and to get the visibility out.
0: What, uh, what kind of connections are, are ideal to make in an event like that? Sorry? What, uh, what kind of uh, connections are ideal to, to be made at an event like that?
2: Um, That's a a great question. So I think a lot of it is to do with um, the the other publishers and authors you meet, definitely. One of the things that's amazing about the publishing industry, certainly in terms of indie presses, is how much we support each other. So it's not sort of a a cutthroat industry because, you know, a a person doesn't buy a book because it's from, you know, a certain publisher let's say they buy it because they they like the book right so there's no point in being cutthroat in in this industry which is wonderful the other thing is you know we meet a lot of reviewers at these events and let's be honest if you're going to a sci-fi fancy event you're usually quite a super fan Mm -hmm. which means that you know hey if if you're really into I don't know, uh, Star Trek, you might like this book that we have, or if you like something darker, you might like this book. And it's it's those kinds of repeat connections as well. So we went to Worldcon in London in 2012 and we had a book out called uh, Legacy, which is um, uh, anthropomorphic fantasy, so um, the Tales of Redwall style, but with magic. Um, and... We went to Worldcon again in 2019, in August, in Dublin, that time. And someone who had read that book in 2012 was like, I recognise that book. It's the second one out. I'll buy that one. And this was, you know, seven years later. So people remember and they're like, oh, I definitely spoke to you last time because we talked about this and you really helped me with that thing and you were really nice and I spoke to your authors about that. So... Yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting.
0: That is an experience that's a little bit more difficult to cultivate on a Zoom call.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's just that, you know, being able to go over and chat to someone and then leave. And it, it's a lot difficult to, to do that, even if you have sort of drop in sessions on, you know, Google Meet, for example. It's, it's not the same.
0: Uh, Dorothy, I wanted to ask a little bit about your writing group, and I want to make sure that I uh, ask you guys uh, a couple of questions from the blog that uh, that I've been trying to work more into the show. So get ready to be asked about your favorite books. That's going to be fun. Uh, but I did want to ask about the, is it the Barrington Writers Workshop? Because you've got a lovely blog post at the top of your blog, or it was as of the recording. Hopefully it still will be close uh, as, of, as, as of the day. Um, about working with your critique group and, and getting the most out of that and how does that differ from sarah who i noticed uh, is thanks specifically for helping you to change the ending uh, of the trickster.
1: <laughs> right. uh, sarah asked me to do a post for inspired quills blog about getting the most from your writing workshop and after i sent her that one and it was it was ready to go i thought you know here's i also learned a lot by just critiquing other people's work during the workshop. And so I said I wrote, you know, getting the most part two and I linked to the Inspired Quill blog and and then mine. The Barrington Writers Workshop has been around for quite a while and it, uh, at least 10 years. And it's, um, it, it used to meet in the library, which happens to be right next door to my building, All right, Which is how I found it because we moved here maybe two and a half years ago. And, uh, and I've always belonged to a writing workshop. I really value the support. And uh, this is a really this is a really good group. <clears throat> um, there are um, people who are good writers and good critiquers and who are very conscientious. And we are meeting by we meet we met all we've always met once a week Wednesday night from six thirty to nine, which is quite a commitment, really. And uh, now we've been meeting by Zoom, so um, it uh, it's. Um, I don't know how people, how writers survive without a writer's group. Um, This particular group, as I say, we're mostly critiquing one another's work. Um, I belong to an online group that doesn't do critiques at all, and it's closed, it is locked. You have to be invited, so it's private
0: i assume my invitation
1: got lost in the mail sure probably people can complain about their publisher or their agent or their editor without committing suicide committing suicide you know so that group is like a support group where someone was someone recently their age their royalty check bounced which i thought oh my god oh my god so you know so I mean that's the kind of thing you can share on that that you would not share publicly. Probably. Unless you were really mad. So um I don't know. I've always belonged to a, a group. Um uh we're I don't know. It's it just it keeps me for one thing, it keeps me motivated. It uh um it, it keeps me on track to know that these people all know I'm writing, and so I'm not gonna take two months off in the middle of a book, probably, you know? Um, so it's very, it's good.
0: And i um, curious, because I've, I've, I've seen a, a number of people <laughs> melting down on social media over the uh, past years, but one of one of the added bonuses, I guess, of uh, the, the pandemic is that we've gotten to see when people are really at their, if they're stressed out, where that character is and, and yeah. sometimes that's a, it's incredible like oh my gosh you have all that to deal with and look what you're also doing and, yeah. and other times not not so much so uh, thinking about especially over the last uh year i know of a, a number of editors or agents who I've, I've seen saying things publicly i would have never thought but here here we are uh, that interesting um, why is it a good idea if you're walking away from a publisher, you're never going to see them again? Obviously, that's not a problem for you because you're going to write 23 more books uh, with Sarah but in, and before you found Inspired Quill. Um, why is it important to keep those interactions that don't go so pleasant out of your social media feed and, and putting them where just anyone can read them?
1: Are you asking me?
0: Uh, yeah, but ask you and then I'll, I'll ask Sarah also.
1: Okay. Uh, You never want to burn a bridge, right? You need them much more than they need you, probably. Um, The only reason you would complain publicly would be to warn another other writers away from, say, an agent who is dishonest or something like that. But, and even then you'd be careful because it's too easy to get a reputation for being difficult to work with and you never know who's gonna be friends in the industry. Um, you know, some agent that you dump on maybe friends with an editor who now looks at your. Well, not submission, you know, so. Um. It's just not a good idea to. And usually when people do say things in public, it's because. They're so angry or worked up that they have. Not stepped back and thought about it first, right? So you need to do that.
0: Well, Sarah, uh, thoughts, and also, what do you think when you see authors uh, publicly uh, saying things that maybe they shouldn't?
2: I I think yeah, th- there's definitely two sides to every story, right? So I'm um, I'm a massive advocate for if anyone in the industry has been dishonest, if royalty checks are late with no reason there's always mitigating potentially mitigating circumstances but you need to be honest and transparent and you know you've got to know what you're getting yourself in for um there's also a a big problem within the industry still of um you know things like transphobia and racism and and stuff like that and to be honest i'm happy to see people called out regardless of of who they are because, you know, I, I'm in a very privileged position in that I'm a publisher, right? So I don't have that same level of, um, you know, oh, I don't want people to think that we're bad to work, or that I'm bad to work with as an author might have. Um, however, I will always say to authors who want to work with us, you know, if you have a problem with your publisher saying things like Black Lives Matter or trans rights are human rights or, you know, stuff like that, then we're not the publisher for you. Obviously, from our perspective, there are plenty of other people who are a good fit and who we can work with. Um, And it's important because the industry has always had a transparency problem and still has a transparency problem. You know, we saw that last year with the publishing paid me hashtag, which was, terrifying and a real eye-opener um the the challenge that i have sometimes is when people who are slightly outside of the industry make comments sweeping comments about the industry and say how bad different things are um and, and part of that is, you know, trying to leave your ego at, at the door and, well, Inspired Quill doesn't do things like that. And we'd never consider saying this or doing that. Or we've been working towards better accessibility and how dare they say that publishing is is like this. But at the same time, I get it. I understand because, you know, who's going to know about this little tiny independent press in the UK who's doing this one thing that they're ranting about that day. You know, it's one of the big things I've seen at the moment, for example, is um, book reviewers wanting to be paid to, to review books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's definitely a, a two-sided coin, right? Because you see everyone else in every other industry getting paid to do product placements. Well, why can't, you know, we spend hours writing blog posts and doing booktube videos and all of that, and we don't get paid for it. Well, they're not paying you to promote their book in the way that you necessarily think they are, but that's a wider industry challenge, I think. So even if I saw a book blogger, you know, complaining about, oh, you know, put so much effort in and publishers suck because of X, Y, Z... I wouldn't necessarily not work with them. I'd just make sure that expectations are set very early on. Um, but I might not be completely representative of the industry because I'm quite gung ho in, in in a lot of places. And I, I recognize that the publishing industry has a long, long way to go. So.
1: Sarah, do you check uh, authors' social media before you sign them? Or ever, for that matter?
2: <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Some some of our authors are, are louder on social media about certain things than than others. But from as far as I'm concerned, as long as that ethos fits with Inspired Quill, which all of the authors do, then you know I'm I'm more than happy to you know I, I'm not going to turn around and say Dorothy stop tweeting about the presidency. <laughs> you know um I, that that's not something that I'm I'm going to turn around and say. Now if if we had an author that that turned round and, you know, um, said something transphobic, then we'd have to have a discussion. And and we would, absolutely, because that's not, you know, that's not the kind of space that I want to cultivate as as a publisher. in terms of when authors submit work to us, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll check just to make sure that the ethos is aligned. But whether you've got 20,000 followers or 200 followers, that's not a, a big deal for me because that's something that, that we can work on. So, you know, the, the sort of size and shape of, of an author's online presence, as long as the author's willing to work at it, it, it's not something that, that we really take on board
0: I do wonder and some so. I I've been wondering for a while, um, partly because the one, one effect of the last four years of uh, a president I refuse to make this show about uh, is not his behavior, but the behavior of so many people that have followed. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, if this terrible person hadn't come along and said these bad things, I wouldn't have known 73 million of my fellow uh, Americans apparently are on board and that's just fine with them. Mm hmm how often does it happen? And uh, the Orson Scott card exists. So I know that this can happen, that an author sends you a manuscript that you fall in love with. My God, this is, this is incredible. Uh, and then you go to their social media and it's all, all lives matter. And
2: uh, mm-hmm. here's
0: my link to Tucker Carlson that I watch faithfully every night. <laughs> Whatever else.
2: Do, you, do you know what, Rob, we've never had that. And I think that's because certainly over the last few years, we've as inspired Quill, we have been more open with the sort of ethos that, that we want to cultivate. So, you know, one of our pinned tweets for, for a long time was, you know, um, consuming media is a political act, black lives matter, trans lives are, are human rights, um, you know, um, and, and three or four more, more things like that. So I think if people have done their homework, and we only want people who do their homework, right? Um, The kind of people who we would not feel comfortable working with, just don't bother with us. And that's, that's fine. (laughs) If it ever did happen, then, you know, I've always said that, that for me, I, I have to want to work with the author because if i don't then it's just going to be hell on earth for me because i i don't get paid for (laughs) running inspired quill so if it's if it's something that i i hate doing then what's the point sort of thing so um it would be a shame of course it would but i think my response would be sorry but we're not the place for you because i i also have to think about the authors that who we currently work with and making sure that it's a a safe environment for for those authors as well, and the last thing that that I want to do is is bring someone on board who's who's going to jeopardise that. My duty of care is is to to the authors that that we have.
0: Dorothy, I want to bring you in on this as well because this is something that I. I've been struggling with and every esteemed audience knows that half the show is me just finding out the stuff that I want to know and I hope some of it's interesting to them as well. <laughs> um, but with social media, one of my New Year's resolutions this year was to just drop politics out completely because when I when I saw the election result, I, I live in uh, Indiana, which went bright red on the first hour of vote counting on election day. And I saw that and I thought, well, I guess they didn't read my angry tweets. I, <laughs> I wrote a very thoughtful Facebook post on, 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 on better ways to think. And apparently, it missed them. Uh, and so, I've pulled way back, uh, not because uh, I don't believe in speaking out politically. If there's, if you're having a protest, something effective, let me get in on that. Let me let me come with you and, and be a part of that. But as far as social media goes, I've come kind of to think that, well, you know what? If I could just get more people reading and practicing empathy hopefully some of this other trouble will will sort itself out once once you know maybe you're going to continue to be a bad person for the next five years but you started reading you're thinking you're thinking about how other people feel 10 years from now let's see who you are Um, so i pulled way back i don't but at the same time i know that um, inspired Quill has their diversity pledge. This is important to you. You are outspoken on these issues, and Dorothy, I've seen you be relatively outspoken on on uh, social media as well. Usually because I liked and retweeted it. Um, <laughs> how political are you being, and how political should authors be? Is there anything to regard this of, of which side of the uh, of the you know I which side of the aisle, what side is barely competent and one side is terrible. I hate the way this thing is framed. Um, But how how useful is it to be outspoken politically and and how do you try to manage that with your social media? Dorothy, you first, and then Sarah, back to you.
1: I don't know how useful it is to other people. It's useful to me, (laughs) makes me feel better. To rant a little, Um, I used to when I first started using social media. I kept my politics completely out of it because I was afraid I would offend potential readers. And finally, I decided to own my politics. That that was, um, and that that felt important to me, given the times we live in. I I, as I say I don't know how useful it is and I try not to. um, Film I I want there to be other things too. You know, I want to sound like a person with a wider life than I probably have at the moment, but. um, You know, and I try not to be mean usually about what I say because uh, people do have legitimate differences and. and some illegitimate ones, you know? And I sometimes wonder how my politics, whether or not it comes through in what I write. You know, it seems to me I'm consistent there. What I write is consistent. I don't talk about real life politics, but I talk, I I frequently write about who should rule the kingdom, right? Who is a just ruler? Who is uh, cruel? Who is, Uh, Selfish. I frequently write about those things. So I wonder how how people read that from coming from different perspectives, you know? So um, I like what you're saying about empathy. There is actually, I think I've seen uh, empirical evidence that children who read fiction uh, um, show more empathy in the tests that those particular studies were doing. So I think you're right about that. I don't see how you could not be right. But uh, so I like that and you know maybe I'll think about that. <laughs> In the, you know, I think I'm going to write I'm posting less about politics now just because things are calmer. So
0: that is a nice thing. Politics are calmer. The super friends are good again. My God, 2021
1: <laughs> so far, pretty good year. Right. <laughs>
0: Uh, ah, What uh, What advice do you have in the same vein of, of authors managing their social media, and how? What responsibility do you feel to your social media? Mm.
2: I think Dorothy hit the nail on the head slightly when when she was saying, "Don't be mean." So for me, the you know everything is political right you know people say oh you know don't make this political it's kind of all it is because that's just the world we live in you know everything is is political consuming media is a political act publishing is uh, a political act if you think about you know even if you don't think it is i think the thing for me for inspired quill is be constructive so don't just post you know, mean things about politicians that you don't like and don't post gushing, you know, fan fiction about politics, uh, politicians that you do like, right? Um, for me, it really comes down to does, you know, there are human rights issues that not everyone will agree on. And for me, they seem to be so obvious, like, you know, Black Lives Matter for example oh don't politicize this well first of all it is incredibly political and you know people who think that that's not a thing it for me quite short-sighted but um you know it, it's to do with um yeah sort of the, the human rights side of things, whether you know you're you're left wing or right wing or centrist or or whatever um you know that's something outside of what I would publish with Inspired Quill. So, you know, we we kind of keep political parties out of it when when we're posting things. Um, you know, and and it's more to do with the outcome of of policies. Um, you know, protests that that sort of thing. And and as I say, it's usually to do with human rights and everyone should should have the right to. To live in in a dignified way, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are there are lines in the sand that that I would sort of not go past when posting with Inspired Quill, even though I'm I think that personally I'm slightly more radical than um, than Inspired Quill would be posting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's an important distinction to make and I would say for for authors, you know, regardless of, of what side of, of the line you are, um, make sure that what you're posting is more constructive than just sort of name calling.
0: Fair enough. Um, well, fortunately, our, our politics are calm and we'll never rear their ugly head again. I think that's behind us now. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Well, I see I'm watching our time and I see that we're almost uh, about where we were last time. I, I promised that sure. this would be a, a shorter episode and, and, and so it will because of my, my, my dream, my goal for esteemed audience uh, is that they can listen to this episode and episode 78 plus the one we're recording 10 years from now. And that all three <laughs> have uh, uh, brand new content in them. Uh, so I'd like to ask two uh, near impossible questions to answer uh, and then we'll we'll call it a day. Uh, The first of which, uh, and this will not represent your most favorite books because that's impossible. It's cool, particularly for you, Sarah. How many angry emails do you want to get that you didn't pick my (laughs) book? But assuming that all books from Inspire Quill are off the table, any author you've worked with can't, can't be part of the answer. What would you say are three of your most favorite books? Not necessarily the most favorite, but three very much toward the top
2: do you want to go first Dorothy?
1: (laughs) Sure. Um, My favorites change all the time but there would always be a Jane Austen book in there Um, you know one of them changing over time. Um, My favorite a book you know when you said name your favorite book my immediate thought went to Megan Whalen Turner's The Thief which is a young adult fantasy novels. It's a series that I think there are six books and she just finished and those books have been sold to Disney Plus to be made into, uh, you know, movies, I guess, TV show, whatever. And um, I just really admire uh, The Thief, the first book in that series. It's in first person and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's it just. I just really enjoy it. And so a third one, what would it be? Um, Boy, I don't know, it changes all the time. Um, What have I read lately that I really like? I don't know. Because sometimes what I've read lately is, just picking from what I've read lately is not a good idea, I would say. You know, there have been some good books in there, I particularly, but you know, you have to stand the test of time in my bookshelf to be one of my
2: favorite books. Um, I don't know. Sorry, you, you you talk for a while, Sarah. I'll, I'll talk. Um, so I think one of them has to be Jane Eyre. Um, oh. is is one of my favourites. And yeah, like like Dorothy says, it, it it changes quite often. I remember one of the first books I ever read was um, by Jack London. It was White Fang. Well, it was technically oh. Call of the Wild and White Fang that they'd sort of stuck into one book. So for the longest time, I thought the book was called call of the wild white fang (laughs) um so better title honestly (laughs) right um and then definitely something by probably the most influential book in my life was um or short story rather was the smallest dragon boy by anne mccaffrey because that started me on the the path i'm on now effectively i can i can trace back pretty much my entire literary life to that short story which is pretty cool um so yeah there you go Jane Eyre um Call of the Wild White Fang and uh, The Smallest Dragon Boy by Anne McCaffrey
0: Dorothy I assume you realize your third book is Banneker Bones <laughs> and the Cyborg Conspiracy available today <laughs> <a> esteemed <laughs> audience <laughs> I
1: exactly mean, what was I thinking it was it, yeah. I like your (laughs) shirt, Rob. I really like your shirt. uh, (laughs) Like your merch. (laughs) <laughs> for those of you listening, instead of watching,
0: I'm repping, a, as as usual, a Banneker Bones. Just shameless. I have Banneker Bones clothing. I make sure I wear it on the show. It also makes things easy ahead of a podcast. Like, what will I wear? The same thing I always wear. I've got a collection of book shirts. It's going to be one of those. One less decision I have to make. So, no real, real answer. What did uh, you come up with for a third favorite? Oh,
1: I just glanced at my bookshelves and settled on Rachel Kane's Prince of Shadows, which is a retelling... I, I know these are all odd choices, except for Jane Austen. Um, it's a retelling of Romeo and Juliet from the point of view of Benvolio, and it's it's very entertaining. Uh, Rachel Kane uh, just died a few months ago, so tribute to her. Rachel Kane's uh, uh, Prince of Shadows.
0: Ah, and then my final impossible question, and then we'll we'll call it uh, a day. But I got to say, I feel like we nailed it. I don't know if we if we beat episode seventy eight, but we have definitely been as good, may, maybe a little bit better, uh, second time around. Maybe I, I feel like maybe we've elevated this just a, a, a bit higher. So thank you both again for for making the time and and for being so generous with it here. Um, thank you. My uh, final question for you is if you could have lunch with any author and or publishing professional. so I'll, I'll allow an editor or an agent if you prefer. But any, any author or publishing professional living or dead uh, that you're not currently working with and could have lunch with now so you don't have to feel obligated to pick each other uh, or me, <laughs> uh, you may be. Uh, but someone you, you haven't you haven't um, had lunch with before that you'd like to have lunch with. Who would that be, and what do you think that... How, where would you go, and what would you talk about? Uh, who wants to go first?
2: Oh, God.
0: <laughs> oh. Sorry, that sounds like you better go first.
2: Oh, wow. Unless um, that was
0: your choice. Uh, God, a popular author. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, that's a really... You weren't kidding when you said it was... Impossible. It was, Yeah. Um, Um. I don't, maybe, maybe someone, um, although would you, would you call them a, 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 an author if it was oral tradition? So, so, you know, the, 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 first person who came up with Beowulf. Wow. I think, or the, um, mort d'Arthur, for example, something like that. So when I was at university, I was obsessed with, um, medieval literature to the oh. point where I was, you know, doing translations of Old English for fun back when I could still remember Old English. Um, and I just think the the oral tradition of storytelling, I, I think that modern storytelling has so much still to learn from the oral tradition of, of storytelling. I think it'd be fascinating to to sit down and, and get into the mind of, of an, an old storyteller, as it were. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my answer. That's my answer.
0: I assume you're going to be eating at like a cookout someplace with a lot of mead and you're not going to take your cell phone out because you don't want the
2: conversation to be, whoa, 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 what's that? Yeah, absolutely. I used <laughs> to do uh, medieval reenactment. So um, some of the ah! best food I've ever had in my life. So yeah.
0: <laughs> well, this is <laughs> going to work that. out splendidly. You're, you're all set for this. So what are you going to talk about? I assume you're going to be wearing uh, the, the, the appropriate outfit. What's that conversation going to be about, you think?
2: Um... I think probably just in terms of, you know, how do you hold an audience and how do you how does it come out and how do you sort of structure things so that you don't remember, you don't forget, you know, stuff that you've just spoken about 10 minutes ago. And it's really interesting, actually, because we say now um you know show don't tell whereas in the oral tradition of course if if you've ever read like the the iliad every 20 pages they're saying and as you remember this person did this thing 10 minutes ago and it's because when you're saying that orally people aren't always listening it's like you know the the globe theater with shakespeare right people used to go in for a chat and then half be looking at at what was happening on stage so you know the the tradition is so different but so so rich at the same time i'd just be fangirling let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> all right dorothy who uh, who have you chosen
1: okay um i immediately thought of bruce i don't know whether you know the bruce springsteen song that goes something about how einstein and shakespeare were having a beer <laughs> you know and yeah shakespeare having a beer with shakespeare would be very would be interesting you know um in that uh, song, I can't remember how exactly how the lyrics go, but Einstein says something like, one and one makes two, and and um, uh, uh, Shakespeare says, no, they they make three. That's that's poetry, he says. And I thought, yeah, I want to have that kind of talk. I want someone to talk with like that. So, yeah, it's Shakespeare. Let me pick Shakespeare. Oh, probably <laughs> sure. <in> his face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, take lots of notes. Uh, it's my understanding that scholars have some questions. <laughs> so take lots of notes about Shakespeare's appearance and <laughs> exactly who that person might have
1: been. write those things.
0: you'll come back and say, "Believe it or not, you looked exactly like Josephine." I blew my mind. <laughs> well, where uh, Dorothy? Where can esteemed audience find you online? Find more information about your books. Follow you on Twitter. All that good stuff.
1: Uh, I think I'm just Dorothy Windsor on both uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook. Uh, my blog is at dawindsor.com so Dorothywindsor.com and Windsor is spelled without a D. W-I-N-S-O-R. It
2: took me a long time to uh, to remember that
1: unfortunately. Right. Unfortunately. right. Yeah. It,
2: well, yeah. <laughs> you kind of have an excuse in, in that. that- I, I, I blame the UK monarchy. <laughs> that's, that's the that's on top of everything else
0: <laughs> it's the worst thing they've ever done but that d in Windsor.
1: okay um, you know so if you look for me online I'll, i'm there and and the books are and all the online books are uh they're on the inspired quill website um and small presses make a little more money if you buy directly from them um Inspired Quill does ship to the United States for three dollars, but they don't charge sales tax. So you and actually, I think when you do the conversion from pounds to dollars, it's a little book's a little cheaper Mm -hmm. on the website. Um, But I'm on all the other websites too, you know, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indiebound, all those. So
2: Kobo probably.
0: Yep. Sarah, where uh, can Steam audience find you?
2: So it's just at Inspired Quill on all of the different platforms. The website has a hyphen in, so it's inspired-quill.com. And as Dorothy mentioned, you can buy the paperback and both types of ebooks direct from the IQ website. And for uh, this year, 2021, for every 10 books that we sell through the website of any type, we will donate a copy to a local charity. Um, so you can read and do good at the same time.
0: Well, if you're reading, you're always doing good, but this will be
2: extra good. (laughs) Extra good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, as always, esteemed audience, you know the deal. Uh, the deal. Head to middlegrademinja.com. You're going to see episode 78, as well as thousands of interviews with other editors, authors, literary agents, publishing professionals, all the world's best people. Uh, get your copy of Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy. If you haven't uh, read the first or second uh, the Banneker Bones series, I got you covered. You can download Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Uh, beans as an ebook for free right now while you're listening to me start your day off right Uh, and as always god willing that i'm alive i'll see you next week